Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Leticia Niago, the 2022 president-elect for the Metro DC chapter of the Association for Talent Development. And I'm Christina Eanes, the 2022 Vice President of Marketing and Communications. And I'm Stephanie Hupka, a member of the Chapters Pod Squad. We also have Helena Hodges, Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing seasoned learning professional, breaking new ground in measurement and evaluation using predictive learning analytics, Ken Phillips. Welcome, Ken. Thank you, Letitia. I'm glad uh, I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to this. Nice. Before we jump into our topic of boost training transfer using predictive learning analytics, please share a little bit about yourself with our listeners. Um, yeah, I've been in the uh, learning and development uh, field for over 30 years. Uh, I've been also very active with uh, ATD in a number of different uh, respects. One, I was a, a chapter president uh, at the in the Chicagoland chapter. Uh, I've served on the NAC actually twice, so I'm a knacker and a renacker if you want to look at it that way. Um, and I've also been on the uh, ICE planning committee uh, over uh, back a number or back several years ago, and. Um, I've uh, spoken at the um, ATD International Conference every year since uh, 2008 on topics related to measurement and evaluation of learning. So um, I, I, I have a, a fond uh, appreciation for uh, ATD chapters and the, and the organization. Wow, and we do for you as well. Thank you so much for all these years of service. You're welcome. I, 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 I was getting something out of it, or I wouldn't have kept doing it. So I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> nice. Let's tap into your expertise for our listeners. In the ebook, you wrote on predictive learning analytics. You start by talking about scrap learning. What is scrap learning, and how big of a problem is it? Yeah. Thanks for that question. Um, it, I define scrap learning as the either the gap or the difference between uh, learning or training that's delivered and uh, training that's applied back on the job. And so that's kind of the real simple uh, definition of it. Or another way to look at it would be it's the flip side of training transfer. So whenever you do a training program, one side of the coin is tr training the transfers. The other side of the coin is scrap learning. That's the training that was provided that didn't transfer. Um, another way that um, that I use to describe it that, that some people can relate to is uh, think of it in terms of the three-ton elephant in the room. Every time a learning and development professional goes and has a discussion with a business executive about designing and implementing a training program and during that discussion, uh, the three-ton elephant is the fact that both parties are fully aware that regardless of how good the training is, there's a strong probability that there's going to be a percentage of the participants who aren't going to go back 
and permanently apply what they've learned back on the job. Uh, but what happens in these conversations is they never, no one ever brings that up because no one has any viable solutions to how to, to how to address that. Um, and that's what started me thinking about um, the whole predictive learning analytics uh, uh, topic and uh, the methodology that I've been working on is to have some way that you could have a discussion with a business executive about how a you as a learning and development professional could you know, measure and monitor and manage uh, the amount of scrap learning that's associated with a training program. Because right now that doesn't exist. I see. Now, predictive learning analytics is also a new term. How is it defined? Um, well, I look at it as the... Um, it's really a, a, a methodology that um, is going to allow the learning and development um, uh, professionals to uh, predict with not 100% certainty, but with, you know, a reasonable degree of certainty, uh, two things that, that, are, that make it predictive. One is they'll be able to predict which learners uh, that attend the training program are most likely to go back and apply what they've learned. Which of those learners who are going to attend the training program uh, uh, are going to go back and try to apply what they've learned, but within uh, generally 30 days or less, end up reverting to their back to their old ways? And which set of learners are going to go back and take what they've learned and actually apply uh, all that they've learned back on the job? So it's 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 really that whole predictive part of of uh, the um, uh, of the training program um, that you uh, that that's is the, the benefit of the predictive learning analytics. So what specifically is the predictive learning analytics methodology? Well, right now it um, it consists of of three phases. Um, and the first phase is uh, data collection and analysis. The second phase is solution implementation. And the last phase is uh, reporting the results. So it's broken down into those three phases. There are a total of nine steps uh, that uh, make up those three phases. But what's really more important, um, or actually most important about the methodology, is that it's built on a foundation of uh, three uh, research-based training transfer components and 15 research-based training transfer factors. So the important part about this is it's not just theory, but it's really based on science or based on research. Hmm, interesting. Can you share with our listeners some examples of the training transfer factors that are associated with each of the three components that you mentioned? Sure. Um, with the there's there's uh, the three components that make up the uh, the method there are that serve as the foundation for the methodology are the learning program design. And the second one is the what I call learner mindset. That's the you know the the frame of mind that learners have when they're in the training. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last one is the learner work environment. And the um, in in terms of the uh, of the uh, training uh, training program design, there's uh, two 
factors that I'll talk about because there's 15. So we would spend our entire time going through those. So let me just give you a couple from each one of the of the three components. Uh, so the um, from the learning program design uh, component. Uh, so two of the factors underneath the uh, learning program design are that the learners need to see the program as relevant to themselves and the requirements of their job. So that's one of them. So if they don't see the training as being relevant to themselves and the requirements of their job, there's little likelihood that there's going to be much uh, training transfer occur. And you're going to get the flip side of that, which would be a lot of scrap learning. Uh, another factor that's associated with the learning program design is that learners have an opportunity to practice uh, the new information they learned. Uh, that probably isn't a surprising one because we all know about, you know, trying to make our learning programs participative and engaging and all of that. Uh, but it's not just a nice thing to do. There's actually research that uh, would uh, has shown that without this, what happens is, again, you know, you increase scrap learning, you decrease training transfer. So the second component would be the learner mindset. That's the, the, the mindset that the learner has coming into the training and has during the training. And that there are five that uh, factors associated with, with uh, the learner mindset. And the, the two that I just pulled out because I thought uh, they'd be easy to relate to um, is that uh, learners need to remain persistent uh, in overcoming obstacles to implementation. So we get a group of learners and there are going to be some learners in there, you know, that will make it happen and take whatever they've learned and make it work for them, regardless of the kinds of obstacles that get in the way or that come up and, you know, and prevent them from uh, immediately being able to apply what they've learned. So there's a certain amount of you know, stick to itiveness, and it's kind of like what we did here in terms of trying to get the podcast off the ground. <laughs> where we, you know, we we were persistent, and that's what um, that's what these learners need to be. You know, because they're going to they more than likely are going to encounter obstacles, and so they need to be able to be persistent, work around those, and uh, and get beyond them. Uh, and the second one uh, about learner mindset um, would be uh, that learners. Take time following the training, and it doesn't need to be hours. It can be just a matter of minutes, but take time to reflect on the new information they learned and also think about how it's going to help them improve their performance. Uh, this is a really interesting one. There's been a lot of not only um, experimental research, but field research on this particular topic. And there was a woman... Um, who actually has written a lot about this, that got her PhD from uh, Harvard. And her uh, thesis topic was all around what role reflection plays in training transfer. And so there's a lot of stuff that, uh, that's out there on the web about that. But it's a real key component of uh, training transfer is getting people just to take a few minutes, you know, it doesn't have to be, as I said, hours. It can just be a few minutes to stop and pause and think about what I learned. How is it, will this help me improve? 
And uh, they, you know, in a lot of training programs, you've probably taken those where they have like an end of course or end of training program uh, action planning exercise, you know, where you write down what you're going to do and uh, when you're going to do it and all of that kind of stuff. And what uh, this woman found in her research is while that was helpful, uh, the, the actual act of creating the action plan didn't contribute any more to training transfer than the thought process that people went through to just pause and reflect on what they've learned. So this whole reflection thing is one that uh, it doesn't get addressed very often. You'll see in, um, you know, in most uh, learning program design stuff, but it is really a, a key component to, uh, to training transfer. Yes, thought process is so important. So tell us, Ken, how does predictive learning analytics differ from traditional measurement and evaluation and the five-level evaluation model? There are, uh, it differs in, I think, three significant ways. Uh, One is that predictive learning analytics um, is all designed to pinpoint the underlying causes of scrap learning. Um, whereas traditional measurement and evaluation is all about producing metrics, you know, metrics around um, what level one metrics around whether people, you know, were satisfied with the training or level two metrics around did, did the learners learn anything or level three metrics around, you know, have they applied anything or level four around, you know, did it improve business results? And, you know, that I'm, I don't want to minimize that because all that stuff is important as well. But predictive learning analytics is really focused on trying to identify what the underlying causes of scrap learning are so that then those can be dealt with, um, you know, and minimized or um, or eliminated so that you can ultimately increase training transfer. So that's one way it's different. A second way it's different is that predictive learning analytics really focuses on future behavior and actions of individuals. So we're talking about um, looking at uh, unique individuals, unique participants in the training program, whereas traditional measurement and evaluation uh, measures programs or cohorts. So we're measuring, we're capturing data to measure, you know, the effectiveness of a program, not of individuals, but of a program. Or if you've got, um, you know, a number of different uh, learners from maybe the same department going through there, we're, we're measuring the effectiveness of how the training uh, turned out with, uh, you know, one group of cohorts versus a different group, uh, group of cohorts from that same department. So that's a second way that it's different. So it really is all about uh, predicting the future. And the last way it's different is that uh, predictive learning analytics is really forward looking, um, whereas traditional measure uh, traditional measurement and evaluation uh, is backwards looking and really describes what's happened as opposed to predictive learning analytics predicting what's likely to happen in the future. So the focus is very different between the two. Makes complete sense. Ken, we are curious, how did you come up with the predictive learning analytics methodology? Well, it was a number of years ago. Um, I'm probably five or six, maybe. Uh, I went to, uh, I was at the ATD International Conference. Uh, I went to a session that was titled Predictive um, Analytics. And uh, during that session, um, the the speaker at the end uh, gave out a book, 
that uh, was titled uh, predictive learning anal or predictive analytics, not learning, predictive analytics, the power to predict who will click, buy, lie, or die. Kind of a catchy title. Interesting. <laughs> and the, the author, if anyone's interested, is a gentleman by the name of Eric Siegel, um, S-I-E-G-E-L. And um, when I when I got back from the conference after I won, I, I won. They had a drawing. I got I won the book, so uh, I schlepped it home with me. And when I started reading the book, I discovered that it was basically a book of case studies around how different organizations were using predictive analytics in a whole variety of different ways to predict the future of things um, like, uh, you know, sales or uh, repeat business, uh, or in this case, the, the case study that really piqued my interest was one that was um, on, uh, was a case study that was based on uh, Hewlett Packard. Um, and what they, and it was their HR department, and what they found at Hewlett Packard is they were tracking uh, voluntary turnover, people who were voluntarily leaving the company, not being asked to leave, but voluntarily leaving. And what they were tracking was they were noticing that that number was ratcheting up every year, and it was getting higher and higher and higher. And so the HR department said, you know, we're spending a lot of money recruiting people. <laughs> We've got to keep recruiting more and more people because the voluntary um, separation people, uh, you know, are, are leaving. And so what we want to do is to see if we can stem that tide and kind of reverse that, that whole scenario that was going on. Um, and so what they did is they had some data analysis, uh, data analysts at, at uh, Hewlett Packard, and they said, can you put together uh, an algorithm based on data that we have on all of our employees to see if you can predict which of our employees, and they had, I don't know, 100 and, 100 and some odd thousand employees, and they said, could you predict which of, our which of these employees are most likely to voluntarily leave the company uh, and which aren't? And so the data analysts went off and you know crunched the numbers and took all the data that HR had on all their employees and were able to come up with an algorithm that actually did predict, not with 100% accuracy again, but with reasonable accuracy, which of their employees were most likely to voluntarily leave the company the company in which weren't. And then what they did uh, was they, they, uh, and they called, they called this score. Everybody had a, a flight risk score. That was the, that was what the algorithm came up with was a flight risk score. And so then what they did is with that information at hand, they went and put together a training program for all the managers and supervisors in Hewlett Packard and said, uh, okay, so here's, you've got flight risk scores. We're going to share these flight risk scores for all the employees that report to you. So you will have a clear idea which ones are most likely to voluntarily leave the company. And so what we want you to do is to look through those scores. And so the, uh, uh, and then what we want you to do is to hold conversations with those employees who have high flight risk scores that are people that you want to keep around in your department or in the company. Um, and so and it was short, you know, it wasn't a long training program. It was just here's some things to talk about to try to match a better match up, you know, your career aspirations with your job response, responsibilities mm -hmm. and so on. 
And what they found was within the first um, uh, within the first few years, they were able to save millions and millions of dollars um, in recruiting costs because just this simple way to predict this information, they were able to get the managers and supervisors to intervene in those situations and um, you know keep those and keep not all, but keep uh, more of the employees around in the company so they didn't have to recruit new, new people to fill those positions. So that got me thinking about training transfer. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we couldn't, if we could do something like that in training where we could predict at the end of a training program, which of the learners are most likely to go back and apply what they've learned without, you know, they're going to make it happen regardless. So we talked about the whole persistence thing. Uh, which learners are likely to go back and attempt to apply what they've learned, but ultimately end up reverting back to their old ways, as uh, so we call those at-risk learners. And then which uh, learners are most likely to go back and do absolutely nothing? You know, they're, they're going to make no attempt to apply uh, what they've learned. And yes. then the other part of that was, uh, from the prediction standpoint, was we took a look at, we were, we're also thought, um, because we know managers and supervisors play a critical role in whether or not the learners they send to training are going to apply what they've learned when they come back on the job. So we wanted to also then be able to see if we could predict which managers were most likely to provide active support for the training and which managers were most likely to provide passive support for the training. So now we have some data that we can look at and we can take and begin to implement uh, targeted corrective actions to address both of those groups of people. Uh, and uh, that's that's how I got started with all of this. Wow, so interesting and actually very helpful. Now, if a talent development professional is interested in implementing the predictive learning analytics methodology you just shared with us, is there anything else you can share that they ought to consider? Um, yeah, my, um, if you don't mind me, do a little self-promotion here. I have a, uh, my website is uh, www.phillipsassociates.com. Uh, on the website, I have uh, uh, several things. One is an ebook that you mentioned earlier at, in the beginning of our conversation uh, that's available for free. And it's all about the whole predictive learning analytics methodology. Uh, I've got a number of articles uh, that I've written around uh, predictive learning analytics that are also on the website that are free. Uh, and for those of uh, people that are listening who are um, members of uh, national ATD, uh, um, one year ago, actually a year ago this month, uh, I wrote a TD at work uh, publication for ATD. It's titled uh, Evaluate Learning with Predictive Learning Analytics. Uh, and as a um, national ATD member, uh, depending on what you selected, I think, as your, as your uh, benefits, um, you get these things for free. So you can get one of those. Or if you selected other things and you want a copy of the, the booklet, um, you can buy it. And it's not very expensive. I think it's $14 or something like that. Thank you so much for sharing. Okay, you know what time it is? I, I, I'm, I'm anticipating this with bated breath. 
<laughs> so at the end of every episode, we like to ask our guest five rapid fire style questions. Each question requires less than 60 seconds to respond. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. Okay. Give us one book that all talent development professionals must read and why. Oh, yeah. This is a book that probably very few of you even know anything about or ever heard about. It's cut, titled, What Makes Training Really Work? 12 Levers of Transfer Effectiveness. And the author uh, is a woman by the name of Dr. Ina, Ina Weinbauer, W-E-I-N-B-A-U-E-R hyphen Heidel, H-E-I-D-E-L. She's from Austria. And this is the best book I've read in in the learning and development arena for, it's been years, because it goes through and all the stuff that's in this book, it's all basically around instructional design. And it's all around how to design training programs that are going to uh, increase the likelihood of training transfer. Terrific book. I love that. I had not heard of it. So I will have to add that to my list. Do it. Yeah. You'll like it. (laughs) Awesome. So give us one tool that you recently learned about and immediately started using. Um, This isn't necessarily specific to uh, learning and development, but um, a short while ago, I uh, got the uh, app Grammarly. Ah. But uh, I have found that to be the best app I've ever um, downloaded. And I went and bought the, the you know, the, it's a, there's a free version and then there's a professional version. And it, it, the, it's, the professional version isn't that expensive. But I find that um, I use that all the time. And it is really a great tool to help someone write better. Yeah, I am right there with you. I use it every day. <laughs> yep. 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 Okay. What is the best piece of talent development related advice you've ever been given? Um, I'm not sure who gave me this, but uh, and this has to do with measurement and evaluation. And I think um, the, the advice is that when it comes to measurement and evaluation, um, most business executives uh are satisfied with credible evidence. They don't necessarily want scientific proof. And I think the the magic in that statement is that it takes some of the pressure off because I think a lot of us feel like, well, if we're doing measurement evaluation, it's got to be scientifically, you know, valid and and we have to have scientific proof. And, you know, 99.9% of all the executives um, they don't care. They wouldn't understand it if it was scientifically sound or valid. Uh, and so credible evidence is all you really need. And so it just makes that whole measurement and valuation um, of learning process a lot uh, less scary. Yeah, I like that. OK, what is what are you excited about in 2022 that mid to the end of the year? Oh, in 2022? Yeah. Um, I, well, one, I have one thing I'm going to be doing is I've decided to start offering some public workshops on my predictive learning analytics methodology. And so, um, I'm going to start rolling those out later this year and plan to, uh, do 
one, um, you know, approximately one a quarter uh, than in twenty in twenty twenty two, and uh, so I'll take people through the the whole predictive learning analytics methodology and show them how to, you know, create the survey and collect the data and analyze the data and do the calculations and do all of that stuff. So I've been meaning to do that for several years. And I decided that it was time to get on with it. <laughs> I love it. The persistence. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Final question. What is one thing within our industry that you are deeply grateful for right now? Um, colleagues. I think, you know, all the friends that I've made and colleagues that I've, uh, that I have that are, you know, from my not only my experience with the with the local Chicago chapter, but I mentioned the knack and all of those things. And I meet people like you. you know, <laughs> so, I, you know, and, and I've maintained a lot of those relationships over time. And so, um, you know, I, I'm I'm really grateful for for uh, all those uh, relationships that I've that I've uh, cultivated and. Um, and, and they've cultivated with me. So it, it's uh, it's a two-way street. Oh, absolutely. Wonderful. Ken, we are so happy you joined us today to share your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you. Oh, you're more than welcome, Letitia. I uh, was looking forward to it. I, I, I hope it comes off well. Absolutely. And thank you to my co-hosts as well. Oh, this has been fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ken. I think I learned something brand new from you for every session that I have attended of yours over the years, and today is no different. So thank you for being here. <laughs> and many thanks to our community for listening. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. We have a lot of great events each month for you to connect with fellow DCETDers. Go to dcetd.org to sign up for one today. Would you like to be even more involved in our wonderful community? Go to dcatd.org and click on volunteer to get started.